0: Uh, We welcome you, if you can, to come and join us in person. There is nothing like being together. We're glad that you're with us online, and we're thankful for that, but there's nothing like being together. Amen? All right, most people, deep down inside, want to be understood. It's a deep longing of the human heart, but I think every single one of us who longs to be understood also does not like to have to explain themselves. And it's, it's kind of embodied in that saying, and many of you have probably heard it, if I have to explain it to you, you don't understand. How many of you ever had that said to you? How many of you ever thought that? Think about maybe your relationship with your husband or your wife, right? If you really love me, I wouldn't have to tell you. You would just know. And <laughs> I can already tell that there's tension rising in the room, has nothing to do with the national election that we're facing. Just simply the tension in relationships to be understood. Because we desire to be understood, right? Right? We love to be understood and we hate to be misunderstood. Have you ever had to explain something that was difficult to explain? It's super frustrating. Right? That's why teachers are a gift from God. Amen? Amen. Teachers, are, teachers with a gift to teach are a gift from God. Have you ever had to explain something really simple and you couldn't find the words to explain it? Like, they're just, like, I don't know what the words are to help you understand what I want to tell you. It's super frustrating. Has your spouse ever asked you to explain yourself and you're not quite sure how? And by the way, you're thinking, you just don't get me. It's super frustrating. Have you watched... As somebody has tried to explain themselves to other people and they're just not doing a good job and you don't follow it all, it's super frustrating. Have you ever tried to explain someone else's instructions to a third party and the more you share, the, both, more, the more the both of you have no idea what you're talking about and you have no idea what the person was saying in their instructions in the first place? It's super frustrating. We have all watched this election season as so many people have tried to explain themselves over and over again. They try to explain themselves, they try to explain their actions, they try to explain their motives, and it's super frustrating. We've watched as people continually explain and assume and spin the motives of others, and it's super frustrating. The point is this. It's hard enough in an environment that seeks understanding to explain yourself and be understood. Like it's hard enough when you live in a family or you're in a family of choice or you're part of a church and you think you should be understood in that place. It's hard enough to explain yourself here, let alone in a culture that doesn't want to understand you. It's even harder among people who are opposed to us, right? Like, our family should try to understand us, right? As husbands and wives, we should try to understand each other, right? Right? But we also live in a culture where we have social opponents, right? That's kind of a new one, not really, but we see it more and more on Facebook and Instagram. We have social opponents. It's hard to be understood. By the way, if you're ever trying to get a message across, Facebook is probably not the place to get it done, I can guarantee you, you will be misunderstood. You could post, go Jesus, go Bills, go chicken wings. Nothing that anyone should be opposed to. I lost some of you right there on one of those three. And you will find people that misunderstand you. We live with business opponents, right? Those who are looking to win over us economically. There's legal opponents Right? Have you ever gotten involved in legal disputes? The reason why there's legal disputes is that two sides don't understand each other and either side thinks they are absolutely right. It's getting really quiet in here. There's opponents in religious matters. We try to explain what's going on in our lives and what God is doing and people just simply understand. Most of the time, or sorry, I've also watched as brothers and sisters in Christ, on either side of one of these things, social things, business things, legal things, political things, religious things, struggle to be heard and struggle with being misunderstood. Most of the time, when we're not heard or understood, the temptation, the default in our lives is to disengage, right? Right? If I'm misunderstood, then I just disengage from the people that misunderstand me. They don't understand. Or they won't understand. Or they can't understand. The thing is this, disengagement from a relationship when we're misunderstood is not healthy. And it's simply not an option for believers. And so this morning, I want to look at a powerful verse that we find in 1 Peter. And I want to read what God says about explaining ourselves. So let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16 if you're reading the NLT. It's just verse 15 if you're reading the NIV. It just is how they divided these verses. 1 Peter three fifteen and 16 in the NLT says this. instead, You must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. 1 Peter 3.15 in the New International Version says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, as we are encouraged by your word, I pray that we would not only have an answer ready for those who ask, but God, that you would dig deep into our hearts and produce a hope that is unshaken because it's a hope in you. God, show us how this happens in our lives as we worship you as Lord for your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this verse in Peter, we need to understand the context of the man who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is telling us to be ready to give an answer. We are reading the words of a man who failed miserably at this. When he was... When the, Jesus was being tried, when he was going through his ordeal the whole night before he was crucified on the cross, he was told by Jesus that he would deny him. Peter was advised to be ready. In fact, when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me, Peter's like, no, it'll never happen. I'll never do it. I will go to the death. How many of you know when you get a heads up like that, you, you probably think you would be ready, Right? You would be ready for an answer. But when the time came, when a simple servant girl called him out and said, I think you're a follower of Jesus, Peter lost his readiness. He was not ready to give an answer for the hope that was in him. He denied Christ. And most of us would be like, well, yeah, that's Peter, he didn't get it, but I guarantee you each one of us have been faced with the same type of circumstance where we have lost vision for the hope that's in us because of something that we're going through. And when we stand before the world, even simple servant girls or whatever other person you would put in that place, somebody who ought not to be intimidating to our faith, we oftentimes are tempted because we have lost it to not give an answer and not be ready. And so Peter, who we have the full uh, uh, benefit of understanding where he comes from. How many of you would like a story written about your life that was intimately involved with the failures as Peter was? We have the benefit of understanding. This man is not just giving us advice. This man has lived this verse. And so we're talking about what it looks like to be ready. Ready? Lord willing, we will conclude our series on ready today. To be, and we're going to talk about being ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. The first thing is this the, the verse starts out with instead. I love that in the, the New, New Living Translation. In the NIV, it says but. In all the other versions, it says but. But in the, in the New Living Translation, it says instead. So the question is what is your instead? What's my instead? Instead of what? If you look at the verses right before the ones we read, verses 13 and 14, it says this. But who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. In other words, there's lots of things that could be our instead. There's lots of things that could cut in on our readiness and our ability to answer for the hope that's in us. The first is this, we may experience harm for the gospel. Some of us are terrified of what that would look like. Many people, most believers all around the world, live with that as a reality every day. And they've already decided in their hearts, even if this costs me, even if I'm harmed for my belief in the gospel, even if I'm harmed for the hope that's within me, I will not abandon that hope I have cause. To understand. And so for some of us, the instead is the, the, the fear that something might be harmful to us. This scripture tells us what another instead might be that we're going to suffer. Do you know it's okay to suffer? We talked about that already in terms of being ready to suffer. It's okay to suffer. Why? Because suffering makes us ready. In fact, look at verse 17. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Not that God wants us to suffer, but that God wants us to do good. And oftentimes, doing the right thing causes us suffering. But it's okay because Christ suffered. Verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. In other words, the suffering that you're under doesn't make you like Jesus But it identifies you with the suffering that he did. He never sinned, and he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. You and I need to understand the instead that we have is that we will oftentimes undergo harm. We will experience fear. We'll experience threats. We will have opponents. But what's your instead? What causes you to become disengaged? Remember, disengagement for believers is not an option. So what causes us to become disengaged? Maybe we have insulated ourselves into a small group of believers that believe exactly the same as we do. Maybe that's our instead. So that we don't ever get asked about the hope that's in us by somebody who doesn't have that hope. Because the people that we are around are only people that have the same hope as us. Maybe we've gone too insular. Or maybe we run from difficulty into silence and ease. Or maybe we put our heads down and we just get to work. Or we concentrate on our family. We go to those places where it's easy to answer, where we don't get challenged, where we're not afraid of being misunderstood, listen, church, we cannot just work on having good families. We cannot just work on having a nice church or having a great small group. All those things are necessary. there are places of rest and refuge and encouragement, but we are called to live in a world that is absolutely opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are called to live in that world unafraid of the cost or the threats. Why and how? Because we have a Savior who suffered for us, who is going to bring us safely home, who was raised to life again and who gives us hope in our current situation. Instead of running away, we should run into the fight. How do we do that? We must worship Christ as the Lord of our lives. What does it mean to worship? Sometimes we think about the singing that we do on a Sunday morning or the the songs that we put on in our car that we just love to Jam out to in Jesus. They make us feel good. But worship really means this, and other versions give us a, a, an understanding of what that word means. It's to sanctify. Sanctify simply means to set apart. When we set God apart in our lives, we were doing that this morning and elevating his name above every other name. It means to rev- revere him, to elevate him, to honor him. It's about our hearts adoration, Peter is saying, listen, if you and I are going to do this thing, if we are going to have hope within us that we are able to give an answer for, it only happens when we start by revering, honoring, and deciding that our lives are going to be lived in the worship of God, not just in the worship of God, but worshiping Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. Why? Because we become what we worship. Whatever we worship, whatever we revere, whatever we elevate, whatever we honor, whatever has our heart's adoration, we grow into. Whatever we worship, we become. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, give us a great example of the world we are living in right now. And it's a world that has lost its ever-loving mind. Because it's a world that has refused to worship Jesus as Lord of their lives. Listen to this and see if you can identify what's happening. Romans 1, through 25. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. And so God abandoned them to do whatever the shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And they traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. Now here's the thing, verse 20 tells us this, that God has clearly revealed himself as God. So man is without excuse. But there was a refusal in the hearts of people, there is currently a refusal in the hearts of people to recognize God for who he is. It's a choice that we make. We serve a God who loves us so much that he gives us a choice. And in that choice, we get what we worship. What our heart's desire is, is what we will grow and become. And at some point, God gives us over, if we continue to choose that, to a place where our hearts and our lives become darkened. Our thinking absolutely gets rotten. Because that's what we have desired. And in that exchange, we start to look like the things that we worship instead of the God that we ought to worship. Our minds become dark and confused. Confusion is not from God. The confusion that our society has over so many things. What's right and what's wrong. I mean, if you just simply boil it down, what's right and what's wrong. And people have started calling wrong right and right wrong, and it is a result of the refusal to worship God and to worship Jesus as the Lord of his lives. We're worshiping a copy of a copy of a copy, one of my friends said. You ever made copies on a photocopy machine? And made copies of copies of copies? Eventually it gets a little off. You start to lose your margins. Here's this really sad part. We trade the truth of God for a lie. And the really sad part is this. The church, his bride, know the truth, but we do this anyway. We have chosen in certain areas of our lives to trade the truth of God for a lie. And so the bride does not reflect Jesus Christ. We have put our hope in something other than him. So where do we need to reframe our worship? Where do we need to begin again to worship Jesus Christ alone as the Lord of our lives? Worship Christ as the Lord. See, this is where revival starts. If you and I long to see revival in the world, we will not see it as Jesus just comes and sovereignly touches broken people. Revival, awakening, the great awakening, these movements throughout history that saw waves of people surrendering their lives to Christ and coming to Jesus started when the people of God refused to worship something other than God as the Lord of their lives. It's when we become radical, that word is not popular today, when we become radicalized for Jesus, and I don't mean radicalized for the political uh, or, or other type of way that some people would say we become radicalized, but we become radicalized when we are willing or unwilling to allow anything else but Jesus as Lord of our lives. And not only that, we don't just hold that in, we give ourselves in worship, in adoration to Jesus Christ alone. We have no other rulers. We have no other lords. This is where revival starts, personally in our lives, and then in the church, and eventually, to society. And this is where ready starts. This is where a hope worth asking about starts. Scripture says, be ready to give an answer to those who ask for the hope that's in you, or somebody asks. See, the world is not asking right now why Part of it is because of that exchange. They have given themselves to worshiping something else, and so they get their own heart's desire. They don't care anymore about who God is. But I would would tell you this morning, the, the primary reason why the world is not asking us for the hope that is in us is because we are not worshiping God as the Lord. There is very little difference between our lives and the lives of those around us who don't know Jesus and have no hope in him. Sir, sure, we do our quiet time, but does that reflect in our day? Are we in him all day? I love the word, we say, but what other voices hold sway in our lives? Who other, what other voices do we give honor and reverence to? We love Jesus, but do we really demonstrate it every day? Does the love of God live within us in such a way that it is bursting out of us? Because when it is, when his word dwells deeply in us, when we are intimate with him, when we carry the presence of God everywhere we go, when we have no other gods, it can't help but burst out of us when somebody asks. And so are we going to find ourselves like Peter without an answer, or are we going to find ourselves like Peter later in his life with an answer that is ready for anyone who asks? Because the truth is this, the world really is asking. They may not be asking, but they really are asking. Listen, there is, a, there is a part of the image of God in every human being. Every human being carries that creative image of God in them. Now, that image might be suppressed. That image might be rejected. You might find somebody who is absolutely, 100% diametrically opposed to God. But that doesn't negate the fact that they, were, they are a human being created in the image of God. And that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And so ultimately, there's this deep place, even if it's been suppressed, even if it's been denied, even if that exchange has happened where, where people's minds have been given over to depraved things. And this is the hope that we have. There is still a part of each person that longs for the answer, that longs for the hope that they were created for, that longs for the presence of God that we were created not only to experience but to share and to extend in the earth. Every single person at the fundamental level wants to know God. And sometimes they have not had an example of the gospel lived before them. They have not had a person who has the hope of Jesus Christ living in them in their lives. And they're, they're literally just waiting. They don't even know it yet. They're waiting for somebody who has the hope within them to walk into that situation. Somebody who carries the spirit of the living God with inside of them, exploding out of them, walking into the room, and demonstrating the love of God, and talking about the grace of Jesus Christ, and showing what it looks like to live a life that worships God alone. Because I guarantee you that if we live that way, they'll ask. They'll want to know what is different. It may not be as blatant as tell me about Jesus. Some of us are saying, well, the scripture says, have an answer for anybody who asks for the hope that's in me as a believer. And you're like, well, no one's ever said, hey, what's the hope that's inside of you as a believer? My guess is that's probably not how it's going to come out of their mouth but they're gonna ask something. There's gonna be an opening. And by the Spirit of God, because we are worshiping Jesus as Lord of our lives, because we have that hope richly dwelling within us, we have an answer. So be ready to answer about the hope as a believer, the hope that you have in you. The King James Version says, where's our hope? Is our hope in our family? Is it in our church? Is it in our work? Is it in a politician or a political party good luck with that let me be clear as your pastor i'm going to get political for a second but just hold on with me as your pastor i have a responsibility to tell you what we ought to do listen as believers we have a responsibility to be engaged in government we live in a unique society we are a republic it's a government by the people What does that mean? That means each one of us has a responsibility, like a king would, to govern in the way that God has for for the part that we have been given. We have a civic responsibility. In other words, we don't serve the government. The government should serve us. But we also have a responsibility before God to know what God values, to know what candidates value, to know what parties value, to let it alone be what God values when we go and rule. See, other people, we're told all the time, separate your religion from your civics. That is impossible to do for a believer in Jesus Christ. We need to know what God cares about and bring that into our participation, either in voting or in being part of government or part of the solution or in serving in some way or another. We ought to bring the values of the kingdom, and the king with us wherever we go. Being a one-issue voter is something that many of us have been accused of. Don't let your voice for righteousness get lost by someone else's accusation. There are literally generational issues that we're struggling with here. Abortion is a moral issue and it's a generational issue. Slavery was a generational issue and it has continued to be a generational issue. But there are times in the history of the world where the people of God have to stand up and say no more. I want to make no mistake in this. There's no nuance. Life is precious to God. Abortion ends an innocent life made in God's image and that is wrong. And there are other moral issues at stake. For believers. We must have a voice because it matters to God. God has put us in the earth For such a time as this. So, when it comes to gender, confusion, when it comes to slavery, you know, there are millions of people literally in slavery right now because of their ethnicity in China. When it comes to abuse and trafficking, when it comes to lawlessness, when it comes to poverty, We ought to know what matters to the heart of God and be responsible for it. In case you think I got a little too political right there, let me say this. There is one hope, and there is one place to put our hope, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. We ought to be the most hopeful people on the earth you can know him not just about him you can know him you can know his heart by knowing his word and you can be transformed both in the present and for eternity by that hope by Jesus Christ so my my invitation to you today is this to put your hope in Jesus not just like in a general sense but literally as a believer as somebody who is anchored your life in Christ. Scripture says that this hope is deep inside of us. Like have you ever gotten up and had a great day planned and it seemed like everything was going to go really well and like something robbed you of your hope within the first 20 minutes? That is not hope that's deeply anchored. Right? That's not deep inside of us. That's not hope that we have. That's hope that we thought we had. And so the, the invitation to each person in this place, whether you've given your life to Christ or you've never done that, whether you've surrendered to Christ, whether you've prayed the prayer, or whether this is your first time hearing about hope in Jesus Christ, or maybe you've heard it for years, or maybe you know, it's been delivered to you in another way, my, my invitation to each one of us, the invitation of God to us today is, where is your hope? Would you put it in me? Deep inside of us. You can have it and you can carry it with you. Hope that you have here that doesn't translate to hope in the rest of the week as you live is not real hope. That was hope in something other than Christ. Hope in our lives going right. Hope in God fixing something for us. Hope in whatever we want hope to be in. But it's hope that doesn't go with us is not hope in Jesus. So uh, the invitation today is to have hope in him. See, what the church does with this will determine the path of our society. We, we can't look at our society and say, hey, they're all, they've all made that horrible exchange, the truth of God for a lie and whatever. Listen, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light, the light on a hill, the city on a hill. If we expect our society to shift, it's got to be as the church of Jesus Christ becomes the church of Jesus Christ. I need to close. So let's be bold in our answer. If we really have this hope, we ought to be bold with it. I think Ranaj is coming. Ranaj, if you come to play, thank you. He's already on it. He's always ready. Scripture says be always be ready to explain it. Be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give a defense. First with gentleness and respect. Have you ever been misunderstood? Do you get more understood when you yell at people? Do people, do you understand people more when they start yelling at you? Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you want to stop an argument and tell your spouse that you really understand them, don't yell, right? That doesn't get you anywhere. We think it does because we keep doing it, right? If I just scream a little louder, I might win. That doesn't get us understood, Gentleness and respect. See, one of my children in their class had this value of the ultimate comeback. Like, they valued as kindergartners and first graders burning each other. They loved it, and they were really good at it. But this is the thing. We as believers oftentimes think the answer we're supposed to have ready in us is going to win the argument. We cannot be ready to win the argument. Jesus says, don't have an answer so you can win over the unbeliever. He says, be ready to explain the hope that's in you. Be ready. How do you and I become ready to explain the hope that's in us? How do we ready? How are we ready to give a defense? It's that we're not ready to prove a point, but ready starts today, and it starts as we worship the Lord as the Lord of our lives. It results with, it starts with him putting hope in our hearts. Where is your hope? Let me ask you that for a minute. Just take a minute. I know we're running late, but just... If you would close your eyes with me for a minute. Where is your hope? Where does it lie? Does it lie in your bank account? Does it lie in who you hope wins the election? Does it does it lie in your family being okay? Does it lie in your health? Does it lie in your ability to make decisions or the freedom that you have? Where is your hope today? How about this? How about we just say no to all of that and we say yes to the hope of Jesus? We invite him as we worship him as the Lord of our lives to come and fill us with hope, real and genuine hope. Because otherwise, we don't have anything to share. That's not his purpose for you. His purpose for you is to have hope to share. And then think for a minute. How do we become ready? We become ready by sharing the hope that's in us. What hope do you have today? How has God shifted your heart today towards hope in him? Let me ask you, just answer this question. Who are you gonna share it with? I think for some of us, we just need to talk about what God's doing in our hearts on the ride home, with our family, with people that should understand us. This is the hope that I have. For some of us, it's I was hoping in this when I walked in this morning, but God has shifted my perspective to hope in this. See, we get ready to share the hope that's within us as we, get, as we share the hope that's in us. As we walk through those successes, and sometimes, like Peter did, failures to share. The hope that's within us rises. The presence of Jesus rises. The goodness of God rises. The Spirit of God in us rises to the forefront. So let me ask you, would you simply start by repenting for any area that you've put your hope in something else? Then would you literally determine who are you going to share the hope of God that you're getting right now with today? And as we do that, we will be ready to answer a world that's asking for an answer for the hope that's in us. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope of our nation. He's the hope of the church. He's the hope of our lives.